Hello. Hi. I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. And we are Dragon Babies. Dragon Babies. We reread our favorite YA fantasy classics and discuss why they may be even better for adults. Yes. This week, The Queen of Atolia by Megan Whalen Turner. <laughs> That's spooky for some reason. <laughs> Um, a little disclaimer, we're both pretty sick. Everyone so got sick for Christmas. Our whole family <laughs> was ill. Um, so Even um, my dog got sick. Even the dog was sick. So if you can't handle stuffed up voices, then just go ahead and skip this then one. Go away. We really wanted to get a second December episode out for y'all. So we're here. Yep. This book was published in 2000. It is the sequel to The Thief, which we covered at the beginning of 2019. So go check that episode out if oh, you're interested. Oh, now we come full circle. That's right. A nice little book end for the year, for a terrible year, full of some great books. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this was, this whole series was a listener request. We typically are covering books that we read when we were young, but this series we did not read when we were younger. Um, so it's a journey of discovery that we'd love for you to join us on. We've been very much enjoying it. We do thoroughly spoil every book that we cover. So if you haven't read this before or haven't visited it in a bit, run off and do that and then come right back. Yes, Grace will be doing the plot summary this episode. I will, but first, Madeline, would you like to tell us a little bit about how the publisher chose to package and promote this book? Oh, <laughs> oh no. Try so hard. All right. So, um, is this the original version? Do you know this cover? No. It's not, right? No. Definitely not. This cover is... art 2017 by Joel Tippy. <laughs> Yeah, this is definitely a new edition because the cover art is more in line with the YA covers of our times. Yeah, yeah, very digital. Um, the nice gold font. I um, do like the the gold font. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, it's got that like three D effect. It looks like there's like embossed torch light being thrown on it. Mm -hmm. um, it's got some lighting there. It says a Queen's Thief novel, and there's like a little tiny flower crown, like in Midsommar. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, um then there's like these little like risk pieces exactly yeah they're, <laughs> like, i feel like the cover is meant to play up the board game like strategic absurdity of war yeah and there are the little carved out pieces of a cannon and a soldier yeah. um, in front of what looks kind of similar to the parthenon um yeah yeah, and then Some there's type a of grand royal building. A little blurb from Garth Nix that says, <gasps> "Endlessly podcast fave, <laughs> endlessly entertaining and very very clever." This is fine. The cover is fine. Um, I just feel like it's not very evocative of this book. Yes, it doesn't feel connected to it. And we, the edition of the Thief that we also took out from the Seattle Public Library, as we did with the Queen of Atolia had an older cover that we really enjoyed. Mm -hmm. um, it was intriguing and enigmatic, I'll say. It made us think. Um, you can, like I said, check out that episode to hear all our thoughts. Um, you can also see the cover on our website, dragonbabiespodcast.com. Um, but this one does feel pretty generic. It's like, hey, moody war book, probably set in some type of medieval-esque right. era. Yeah, but that's not... like It, it would have been much more appropriate to just have... Um, 
like a Mediterranean landscape mm-hmm. from afar. I think that would have been really cool or something like that. I saw another edition. I'll, we'll put a picture of our cover as well as some other editions up on our website. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw another edition that had an incredibly dramatic, realistic painting of Jen and I think Edis on a ship with... Oh wild seas crashing all about them and a little blurb that said steal me peace jen steal me time and i was like dang into that (laughs) yeah it was um very dramatic and i enjoyed it okay all right so i give this cover about a b maybe a b (laughs) minus it's fine (laughs) so i have the enviable task of giving us a plot summary of this book that may as well be a Song of Ice and Fire book for how political it is. Every time there was a new plot twist, I thanked my stars that I wasn't doing the plot summary for this episode because I kept just being like, what? I mean, I think I'm just going to go really streamlined. Good idea. So this book Take the events take place not long after the events of the thief. Yeah, not um, long at all. The I previous don't think. book in the series. This is this series has five books in it currently. The Queen's is Thief the series. Thief the first one. Yes, I'll have to read the rest. Um, Maybe they're on scribbed, scribdy, <laughs> scribed. Give us money, scribd, scribd. Um. Yeah, the most recent book came out not long ago, actually. Um, 2017 is when Thick as Thieves came out, and I'm not sure if that is the final book in the series or not. Uh, Oh, no. March 2019 publication date of Return of the Thief, which will be the sixth and final book. So that didn't happen. The plot thickens. Expected August 25th, 2020. So this is the second book in the series, and it definitely has second book in a series syndrome um, where there are so many different threads coming up and being woven together and just setting up the action for the rest of the series, I felt like. Mm. So fair point. at the start of the book, Jen is thieving again, but this time he's in the Queen of Atolia's castle instead of Sunus's castle, which is where he starts the first book. And he is caught. And the Queen of Atolia makes it known immediately that she hates him and he's been taunting her when he's been thieving in her castle on behalf of his queen, Edis. Uh, Quick note, the queens are known by the names of their kingdoms. Um, All the monarchs are known by the names of their kingdoms. So... Edis is the queen of Edis. Atolia is the queen of Atolia. They have other names too, but we don't learn them till the end of the book. So Atolia captures him and cuts off one of his hands. I'll <laughs> just get right into it. Um, it's really messed up, especially because as a thief, he will possibly no longer be able to practice his not just his trade, but his inherited skill that has been passed down generation to generation because his mother was the queen's thief and also his like religious affiliation. Like he is a devotee to the thief gods, um, everything about him. I was upset. I was upset too. It's really 
a disturbing scene. And as she does it, Atolia becomes very disturbed herself. And she, there's a great passage near that time when she says, when the narrator says she doesn't know why, but she finds herself thinking back to when she was young and she threw a like perfume glass against the wall and shattered it and was so sad that she had destroyed something so beautiful. You done goofed. She done goofed. Um, So after a series of messages sent between Edis and Atolia, Jen is returned to Edis um, and things aren't good for anyone. He is in a deep despair. Um, He is incredibly ill also because his different wounds became infected when he spent time in prison and Edis and her physician are trying to nurse him back to health. And at the same time, she's trying to figure out what to do politically because she can't just take this blow and allow Atulia to exercise this type of power over her and Jen and the kingdom. So this is where I get a little foggy, but a war happens. A war begins. Jen isn't totally clear on what's happening. And one of Megan Whalen Turner's trademarks in this series is to keep the reader also somewhat unclear as to what is happening. So we experience passages through different characters' perspectives who may not have all the information. Mm -hmm. There's also pieces that are purposely withheld from us, the reader, Mm -hmm. um, And it makes for a really fascinating and compelling read, but also one that is difficult to summarize, (laughs) as you're seeing now. Mm -hmm. Um, So war breaks out, and it is between multiple kingdoms, because the larger empire, the, the Mede, which is across the sea that borders Edis and Atolia and Sunis, becomes involved there is a Mede ambassador who is working his way into the Atolian court and attempting to win the queen's favor and we're not sure whether she really trusts him or not but she is allowing him to become very close to her and also wield some of his own political power with her own forces with her Mm -hmm. own army so then Jen, seemingly out of nowhere, uh, when we all we've really known of what he's been doing is just sulking in his apartment open it up. and being guarded so that he does not kill himself. Um, not great. He shows up and kidnaps the queen of Atolia as well as Sunus's Magus. Oh, yeah. Um, so there are multiple, <laughs> all the kingdoms are yeah getting into it. And it, that's the Magus from the first book. Yes. Yeah. yeah we have some. So he is bros with, with Eugenides. Yeah. He, he and Jen have a, a special bond <laughs> kind yeah. that you only form when one of you is forcing the other to enter a flooded treasure crypt three nights in a row. <laughs> yeah. Um, but Tolia is kidnapped And Jen and Edis tell her, okay, you have two options. We will kill you or you can marry Jen so that we can join our kingdoms together and form some kind of alliance. And she's like, oh, what? What is this? Mm. And then Jen's like, I love you. (laughs) No, you cut my hand off. And she's like, oh, 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 what? Yeah. 
And he kisses her, a surprise kiss, which I have issues with. We'll talk about it later. Surprise kiss. Surprise kiss. Shout out to the Bechdel cast, another <laughs> podcast that I love. Then the Mead ambassador shows up with an army to capture, recapture the Queen of Atolia and take her back. Um, and in the process, it becomes clear that there's something more going on than what we knew of. And the Queen of Atolia gives a coded yes to the marriage proposal to Jen's dad, who Mm -hmm. she sends back to Edis as a messenger. And so then what happens is that when it's time for the Atolian, Mede, and Adesian armies to engage, the Atolians basically just join forces with the Adesian army and they overtake the Medes and send them back home. They are victorious and Atolia and Jen decide, okay, yeah, we are going to get married. And there's some other stuff that happens, but I think that's the important broad strokes. Other than the fact that Jen also finds out that the gods are interfering in what's going on with his life and with this war. Um, They are the ones who send (laughs) messengers to like, tattle on one side to the other at different times and just generally cause issues. The the gods are jerks. The gods are jerks and you can't control them and they don't owe you anything. (laughs) Yeah. So they, they muck around in human affairs all the time. And then if you try to call them out, they're like, you can't know the gods. I don't give a crap about you. And it's like, I'm going to show your volcano exploding and destroying your kingdom. Why do you, give a crap about us like go do your godly things if humans are so far beneath you and stop mucking around in our lives oh that's the gods for (laughs) you sorry uh yeah that's it ish atolia loves jen too they they just use humans as a way to be (laughs) like we're better than the humans we're gods we don't care about the humans but and yet all they do, like, obviously, they desperately need the humans to entertain themselves with. Mm-hmm. Like, ugh, ugh. I mean, that's really the crux of all mythology and stories relating to gods interfering with human affairs. Which makes sense because life is random and chaotic. So if you're attributing, like, this life to a divine de- interference, right? Like, naturally, they're going to be jerks. Mm hmm. Because that's who would rule this stuff is jerks. And we talked about this at the end of our thief episode, but could you hand me the book, please? Eh. A lot of the godly worship and approach, um, like the religion in this book, does feel really similar to Greek mythology and Greek, the Grecian Empire's approach to some kind of divine presence. Um, And there's a fun little blurb at the very end of this edition where Megan Whalen Turner just says, the gods and goddesses in my book are not those of the Greek or any other pantheon. I made them up. Um, She was essentially trying to create a world that is similar to the area surrounding the Mediterranean Um, So that's why there are many echoes of the Greek and Roman and Ottoman empires. 
Um, and I appreciated having that in writing because we were kind of puzzling through what was supposed to be going on because there are some names of different gods and uh, the landscape in particular feels so thoroughly Mediterranean um, that we were trying to figure out if it was intentionally so or what was going on there. So mm-hmm. just a tiny bit of background. Um, so where to begin <laughs> this book? Um, let's let's talk about the romantic relationship first. Okay, yeah. Let's just let's just go right into yeah. romantic realism. <sighs> I have a lot of problems with the romantic relationship in this book, but I also think that it makes sense because ultimately the message about being a woman ruler in this time and landscape and just, you know, this reality is one of never being able to have full autonomy dominion and control over not just your body but your entire life and what you will be used for mm-hmm. yeah and atolia is a really 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 cool character yeah she's a really um, interesting character i loved every passage that was from her perspective and it makes complete sense that she has this jealousy toward Edis Mm -hmm. because the two of them came from really similar backgrounds but because of the different kingdoms that they became affiliated with they had to live very very different lives and also rule differently and so of course Atelier resents that and she's been forced into a type of brutality um, into using violence to ensure that she will have people who remain loyal to her. But at the same time, she does cool things like only having soldiers that are essentially independent contractors. So she is paying people a normal, you know, living wage um, and saying like, you can work for me or you can go work for someone else. Um, She's not, using slaves or trying to turn to the barons, like the, the nobility uh, who feel like they're acting out of some forced loyalty. She is throughout the book. She's trying to find someone who is actually truly loyal to her, mm-hmm. um, who she can trust because she's never been able to trust anyone because yeah. when she was very young, she was taken to be married to someone who disrespected her so thoroughly that he and his father were talking openly in front of her about how they were going to overthrow her father and mm-hmm. take over her kingdom. Yeah. Um, just <laughs> really gross stuff. Yeah. Uh, and it was in fact, she at that point who figured out how to take the kingdom for herself. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a line in the book about how she goes from, a shadow queen to a puppet queen. I think it's Nehusarash who says that to her, yeah. but it just gives you an idea that of how, even though she has worked so hard and been incredibly shrewd and just constantly not trusting anyone and having to only rely on herself. And yet still no one sees all the work that she's done or respects yeah. her for who she is. Mm-hmm. They call her shadow queen and then say puppet queen. It's just, it's totally hopeless. Um, she's got she's got a tough road to hoe. Yeah, she really does. And I... It's not her fault. It's really hard, though, still, even yeah. knowing everything <laughs> has happened in her life and in the book, to get from her cutting off Jen's hand to the two of them entering a loving marriage together. Yeah, I just can't, like... And if you think about, like, obviously, 
she she is who she is, and Grace just did an excellent job of summarizing why she's such a interesting and neat character. And if a man, if the gender roles were reversed here, it would be a completely different story mm-hmm. because a man would never have the kind of experience that she's had. Mm-hmm. But if you talk about the romantic relationship alone, it would be extremely messed up. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like some Shahrazad type stuff where yeah. it's like, yeah, we're every happily ever after, but I killed all these other ladies. <laughs> it's that kind of like. Because she, she cut his hand off. And for almost the entire book, one of them is the other's captive. Right. Yeah. They're never not in the role of capturing captives. So she, I mean, she comes from a place of extreme trauma. And so, like, her actions make sense. Um, it doesn't seem like Eugenides had that hard of a life, relatively speaking, growing up. So I don't understand why he has so many issues. <laughs> Jen is tough for me. Yeah. So the first book in The Thief, we, and again, we're going to spoil everything. So The Thief has like a really big twist. So if you want to read the book, go read it before we talk about it. But throughout the book, the twist is that we don't actually know who he is. And so he's not really characterized throughout the first book. You can Mm -hmm. go back and think back through the events and the little you know, put together the little bits and pieces of what he says and what he reveals about himself and then come up with a character, but you don't really get to know him. You know, his incredible skill at being a thief mm-hmm. and then not much else beyond that, his loyalty to his queen. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's pretty, pretty basic, pretty straightforward. And in this book, we do learn about his life and it's still not enough Mm. I would say Mm -hmm. I don't think he is I don't think Megan Whalen Turner is super concerned with him being a protagonist of this book anyway um Atolia is the protagonist Mm -hmm. and Edis we also learn a little more about but but she you know I would say it's like Atolia number one and then Edis and then Jen yeah as Mm -hmm. the main characters who were exploring in this book yeah um yeah he really doesn't have that much characterization it's it's very we, l- we interesting. learned that he was bullied really badly by his family when he was young that he was always kind of an outcast to some extent his mom died when he was young mm-hmm. um his father is the minister of war so he's very involved in the court and the military well, when you put it that way it does make it sound like he did have kind of a rough childhood i mean i I do think that he had his troubles, but at the same time, it's like he was a favorite of the queen from a very young right, age. That's the thing. And he also has these like near superhuman abilities right. to thief. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. he would steal things from the bullying cousins and put them on the altars to his gods. Um, and it, it's also difficult because I don't ever get the feeling that Jen is an adult or put in the time and work to become an adult, Mm -hmm. not physically or age wise, but emotionally, mentally. I I just don't feel like he has fully matured yet because his emotions are all so close to the surface. He goes very quickly from one to another. And when he's not putting on his trained mask Mm -hmm. to be, impassive mm-hmm. and protect himself in the way that he's trained and learned to do because he's a thief. And I think that's part of the reason why the queen of Atolia is so uncomfortable with him and 
is not willing to enter into a marriage with him, even one that's just of tactical import, not for romantic purposes. Um, Because as she says again and again, like, how can I trust him? And how can I know when he's lying versus when he's telling the truth? Mm -hmm. And also he's so young, like he's still a boy. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know she's often referencing physical things when she's talking about that, but I think it's more the way in which he communicates and the way she sees so quickly him like shuddering when she touches him. And then like the fear that he has of her, Mm -hmm. Um, it's all like pretty messy and she also kind of thrills to see the fear. Um, the, it it <laughs> just moments when I was reminded of the line from Thirty Rock when Liz is saying like to Jack, "I'll let you continue your game of sexy one-upsmanship." Yes, yes. <laughs> there, so like, totally. Jen yeah. and Antolia are saying horrible things to each other when they're, they're supposed to be dancing in front of the whole court, and Jen is just trying to like freak her out as much as possible. Yeah, and I mean it's. It's interesting because it doesn't, I don't think the book apologizes at all for no. like this. It it really like goes in and it's just like, look at this gross mess. <laughs> this is yeah. what's happening, but guys. Like also politically, mm-hmm. that is realistic. Yes. For this place, these types of kingdoms, mm-hmm. like it's very adept world building. Yeah. And no, it's, it also it's probably, well done. it probably does make sense that, you know, it's like the, from the Hark of Vagrant comics, what the nemeses, is that what they call each other? Um, <laughs> the the two men yeah, that are the const- pirate and the like admiral or mm-hmm, whatever yeah, yeah. And like my nemesis not my nemesis and it just becomes so obvious that they're in love with each other mm-hmm. um, and from that perspective I do get a little too of why each of them are you know this kind of infuriating unknowable figure to the other one yeah. so of course they're intrigued by that yeah no it is it is funny and engaging and infuriating it's just so it's like pretty dark fantasy um for a book that is like pretty spot on YA you know yeah I agree I don't know how I would have done with it if I had read this when I was younger I I have no idea that's Um, what I was like really fascinated by I don't think I would have had the uh, presence of mind to really understand anything deeper than okay she cut his hand off like what are we all doing right (laughs) especially because that because that's kind of scene is presented in such an upsetting way like fully going into like oh you're in the torture dungeon it smells like blood here comes a big sword you're tied to a chair screaming like begging debasing yourself like it's It's so horrifying yeah yeah it's really really upsetting and then jen is having ptsd yeah related monstrous nightmares and he has phantom hand syndrome too. yeah he has phantom limb pain um he is still so close to it close enough to the point that like the next time he sees atolia's face he can't even control his body because he's so terrified Mm -hmm. um the other problem i have is that the way in which jen's love for her began was when he was a kid and just saw her like looking hot and walking in the garden yeah he was just like peeping and he's like that lady (laughs) is very pretty (laughs) jen as a child i guess 
I, I like it. <laughs> hey, <laughs> pretty lady. Oh, stuff. Especially because Edis says at one point that there are plenty of pretty ladies at their court and Jen never really seemed interested in beauty. And that probably is the crux of this bizarre dynamic between the two of them is that they both crave power to an extent. And I mean, he says... And crave loyalty. He says at the end of the book that like part of what is always drawn to him to her is that she's challenging like she's a challenge and he's a thief so like he's trying to steal her heart in the way that he can steal other things just so many red flags so many red flags yeah i'm worried about their relationship especially because edis makes it so clear at the end of the book that they don't actually have to get married that they can come up with some kind of they're in love with each other Agenda, I don't know what kind of ruler he would be. Like, if he's actually... I don't think he's going to be a good one. I hope that he just, like, lets Atolia do stuff and acts as, like, the second in command because she's the one with ruling experience. Like, he's a thief. He's a very good thief, but he he's doesn't a thief. like going to court. Yeah. He like, struggles with alcoholism throughout this book, yeah. which I feel would be much more difficult to avoid if you're a king and you're yeah. having to be at these banquets every day in, day out. Um, big stress means you need big stress relief. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so. I don't know. I'm really curious about the other books in this series. And I just like. This is a super fascinating book to read. I want to say that because mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not like bashing it. Well, we're going in on, we started the discussion with the problem, the main problem right. that we have with the book. And it's not, oh. it's not a book that I didn't like, like by any, in any way, shape or form. And I don't have anything bad to say about, like, I, I don't think it's flawed. I think that everything is done purposefully. Um, and I, and it has the same amazing reveals that the thief does. Yeah, like when Atolia is giving her secret yes to the proposal in front of all of her, the Medes in front mm-hmm. of Nehusarash, the Mede ambassador, mm-hmm. um, and delivering it to the man who we know is also Jen's father. Mm-hmm. That scene is amazing. Yeah, That's so it's a really cool. Good scene. Exactly, and it's it's just a really weird troubling intense interesting read especially yeah no it really is it's all of those things um yeah. i think megan Whalen turner is amazing yeah so so talented and i think going from the thief which is really a very micro level story that it's is a, it's about a heist story yeah and it's yeah. about this small group of dudes mm-hmm. who are trying to steal an impossible to steal treasure yeah. and yeah around the edges we get some of the larger political intrigue and the international relations between the kingdoms um but then this book is just way way zoomed out macro level three, four kingdom more waging. Um, so it's naturally going to feel pretty different. Um, and personally, I like the type of book that the thief is more than the type of book that the queen of Atolia is. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I mentioned, I see how this is setting the stage for future more zoomed in stories. Yeah. Um, and I do think that Jen will be a disastrous king. So I'm, yeah. but, but that's, that's also the thing about these books. I, they're so 
nihilist in a lot of yes. ways. They, um, they subvert the the normal hero trope. Yeah, really, in, no happy endings. Yeah. Um, even something like this book technically ends with, uh, we don't get the actual wedding, but it ends with about to be a wedding. And, you know, that's the kind of like tropey thing that you'd be like, oh, fantasy book ending with a, a new queen king with the difficult queen. But at the same time, we just had a scene of the gods saying to Jen, you're never getting your hand back, so don't even think about that. And you know what? We also don't owe you anything and we don't have to obey you or help you. you. Like, just stop. (laughs) Kick rocks. Don't ask me for things. Yeah. Um, And also, I'm going to show you a vision of your holy mountain exploding of a volcano erupting and show you the destruction of your kingdom. And the fact that Edis has also seen that vision shows us that that definitely is going to happen at some point. And they've witnessed that now, but now they need to like move forward and try to continue to build this alliance with the neighboring kingdom. Yeah. The gods are jerks. The gods are jerks. (laughs) But, but beyond the gods being jerks, it's also, (laughs) it's also just about the inevitability of chaos. And even when people are attempting to lay these best made plans of mice and men, it's not really going to amount to much of anything. Like it might for a little while, um, but even the events of the thief culminate in the impossible stone being stolen and then immediately being destroyed. You know, it's <laughs> nothing that people work on ever really seems to be like building to a greater whole. Yeah. It's just that feeling of like, OK, we're going to try to survive. We're going to try to keep things locked try down and try to keep job, my kingdom uh, yeah. whole. Um, and there's also such destruction in this book by Edis, who we think of as the, I don't know, quote unquote, good ruler, but good and bad are also very gray concepts in this, in these kingdoms and in this series. Um, But Edis floods all the farmlands in Atolia um, because she has control over the Arachthus Mm -hmm. and the river that flows out of the mountains. Um, and I can't help but think of the all the many citizens in both these kingdoms who we don't ever hear from or see in these books for the most part. And yeah, if this isn't fun to talk about or think about, so I won't continue longer. But everything's a disaster, and I appreciate a fantasy series that addresses that. Yeah, I mean, normally I read fantasy for escapism, which also comes with like actual heroes and actual happy endings. But mm-hmm. this book is a lot more realistic in mm-hmm. that exactly like Grace said, everyone's just trying to hold it together in the best way possible. Yeah, they really are. Like in life. Just like in life. And at the same time, I I do, yeah, it, it still does offer a form of escapism for sure. Um, and not just because there are gods involved, but because there are people who can pull off impossible feats and mm-hmm. like sneak in yeah. and grab a queen or like climb around in the chimneys of a castle <laughs> to evade capture. Um, and there's also just like <laughs> dark moments that are so comedic, like you were saying, Madeline. Mm. Um, like when both Atolia and Edis just forget that Jen has been locked in her room. Yep. 
come to get him after they finish dealing with the battles and everything that's been like, going on. You forgot about He's me. He's like, you forgot about me. You both forgot about me. And they're just like, well, thanks, guys. You were fed. That's what it told you. Yeah. Says. Yeah. Um, and that all also feels very true to life. Yeah. We're all just doing our best, you know? <sighs> so where do we go from here? <laughs> we don't do a lot of political intrigue type fantasy books on this podcast. Um, partly because I feel like we just didn't really read that many of those when we were younger. Also, it's not, it's less escapism because that's going on a lot in our own lives, yeah, in our own world. Plenty of wars raging here. Um, yeah. But there were aspects of this that reminded me of um, Crown Duel yeah. by Sherwood Smith, which we have an episode on. You should check out if you enjoy this. Um, and I do I, I do just appreciate the extent to which Megan Whalen Turner is willing to say, like, this is futile. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I definitely recommend this book for that reason. Um and I'm very curious to seek out the rest. I looked at the little blurbs for the following books. And the next one is about, it says something like, Jen is dealing with all the pains at court now that he's a king. Yeah. But things go awry when he focuses on a like, hot-headed young squire or something like that. So I was like, great. <laughs> Sounds good to me. I bet he'll cut off his <laughs> other hand. Uh, yes. There aren't really animals yeah. in this book. Not, a, not at all, I don't think. Don't think we can discuss them like in any real there's capacity. So there's like no animals in like this book. No animals in this book. Um, and we've discussed the magical elements a little bit, um, but... It's all like God-based. It is God-based. I think... In The Thief, the presence of the gods, it culminates in such an incredible way. And we get that scene of Jen entering this long forgotten chamber mm. where the treasure is being held. I can't remember what it was called exactly. The stone, um, the stone of Hermiathes, right? Hermiathes' gift. Hermiathes' gift. Um, where Hermiathes' gift is being held and it's filled with these massive statues of the gods who all become real and communicate with Jen and that directly ties into the only moment that the gods that we know of at the time show up in this book in the Queen of Atolia. Um, and they remind Jen that that amazing scene that he went through that made him become super devout mm -hmm. was just that. It was just that moment that he even started to care about them. So they're also reminding him, like, you can't go from b being a doubter, a doubter of us your entire life to then being like, Oh, well, but I, it matters now. And yeah. Because then, why would you doubt something that you've never had any empirical proof in your entire life or any lasting impact on you in any way, shape or form? You yeah, dumb. <laughs> but he, that's not what the argument of the books is though. They're saying that the gods are very involved. It's not like in our world where I've never been in a chamber with a bunch of God statues. Have you? Maybe I just don't want to talk about it. Okay. 
Maybe we'll have a special episode. Where we <laughs> talk about our visions, our spirit visions. Yeah. Okay, let's just do pretend food. We're both angry and sick now. <laughs> what food is there in this book? Um, Other than like prison food. Well, there's the banquet foods that they talk about. And uh, there's the bread with the cheese that he can't spread on it because he's missing a hand. Yeah, a lot of difficulties using silverware, um, which makes of, sense. Kind of a bummer. Um, and there's all the wine that Jen drinks. Do you think that his drunkenness is legitimate or that was something that he was also using to kind of fool people into saying that he's hmm. a, a sad drunk now? That's a good point. I it's mean, kind of hard to say. I think it's both. Mm-hmm. I think that he does actually use it, but he also plays it up. Like mm-hmm. when he has that shouting match with Edis in the hallway. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The other piece of romantic realism we forgot to discuss is that the two of them are trying to pretend that they're lovers mm-hmm. to the other kingdoms. Yeah. Um, which comes off to me as super awkward in those moments when... Edis is like stroking Jen's hair and stuff. It just feels like, oh no. Yeah, I really think of them as feels weird, bad, wrong siblings. <laughs> yeah. Um, I know they're just cousins, but even they're still cousins. <laughs> just yeah, it doesn't feel good. Yeah. Um yeah, there's I think there's so much that had to fit into this book, um, just because there's such a wide range of events that take place that there wasn't a ton of room left for tasted treats yeah yeah that's how these things go there really wasn't much pretend food and uh yeah god even i know this episode's gonna be kind of messy and all over the place but even thinking back to just the futility of it all that nahusaresh escapes i know he's just gone (laughs) and uh, atelia's like he's gone isn't he and talias is like yep (laughs) He's out. His slave freedom. Then they swam to the boat after setting their rooms on fire. So don't <laughs> worry. They didn't leave anything useful behind. Yeah. It is all gone. Yeah. It's <sighs> a serious bummer. Yeah. I feel a little depressed now. Oh, Grace. I mean, there's still... Atolia's probably going to have a better life now. I hope that she, yeah, that's my hope for her, that she, Maybe she can, can get some therapy, you know? Yeah, some <laughs> old-timey therapy. Um, that she can gather people around her that she feels more comfortable with. Clearly, she has Talaeus, you know? He yeah. is firmly on her side. Um, and it's a really great moment when she says to Nehusarash, like, look what's happening now. And he's just laying in the grass with a crossbow on him. And then all her guards come out of the grasses. Mm-hmm. Um, News rush is such a frustrating character because he's so clearly a misogynist and he's so yeah. ready to be like, Oh, this poor little woman. Yeah. Thank goodness she has me. Yeah. He um, sucks. And that's another, that just harkens back to what I was mentioning earlier about how no one believes that she has all the strengths that she has when she's already shown them like hundreds of times over. She's just constantly needing to keep proving herself. I guess, you know, now we're bleeding into badass lady meters. So let's go ahead and talk about our badass ladies. Would you like to go first? I'll, I'll do Edis. I give as her badass lady meter, um, her, she reminds me a little bit of King Theoden. 
So uh, just kidding. that's that's her rating. <laughs> King because they have lonely mountain kingdoms. Yeah, and also like she's just always up against a huge foe, like much bigger than mm-hmm. she is. And also sometimes she makes weird bad calls. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, okay. Yeah, King Theoden. I welcome that. Um, My badass lady is going to be Atolia, the queen of Atolia. Um, I do, I admire her. I think that, pardon the pun, but Jen kind of forced her hand in cutting his off. uh, Because... (laughs) He was so pointedly disrespectful to her and had essentially made her look like a fool in mm-hmm. front of her own kingdom as well as his own. Yeah. And that's not something that she can put up with. She has spent her life really just clawing her way to some kind of power and relative safety mm-hmm. and she has to put down anyone who opposes her yeah and if he hadn't if he hadn't been so flippant about it the other times that he had stolen from her or been in her castle i think there would have been a different outcome and she wouldn't have felt like she had to do something so, so drastic. drastic yeah I mean, it's still ultimately her decision and fault that his hand was cut off and that opening the, you know, it's pretty, just takes, takes some chutzpah to open the book with that event and then have the book end with those two characters falling in love. Getting married. <laughs> God. What the heck? Um, but throughout, I, I remained fascinated by Atolia. I really, like I said, enjoyed getting her perspective. Um, And she is my badass lady. My rating for her is a pair of earrings that she can just choose herself. They're not given to her by some creepy would-be lover (laughs) (laughs) whose hand she cut off or forced on her by attendance. She gets to just pick her own jewelry, put it on, and live her life. Autonomy earrings. That's my rating. Yay. <laughs> so this is um, going to be a shorter episode because we're both sick and now furious. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Um, if you would like to check out the other episodes we mentioned, our episode on The Thief or on Crown Duel, you can find all our episodes wherever you listen to your podcasts or on our website, dragonbabiespodcast.com. We're also on Instagram at Dragon Babies Podcast and on Twitter at Dragon Babies Pod. And if you have a request for a book for us to cover, you can email us at dragonbabiespodcast at gmail.com. We will now announce the next book we're going to be covering if we've picked it. As I'm looking at the schedule, I can't remember. Uh, yeah. So our next book is going to be... A book from the Unicorn Chronicles by Bruce Coville, uh, book one into the land of the unicorns. So something completely different. <laughs> I'm excited about this one. From the Queen of Atolia and from Many Waters, really. <laughs> yeah. So you can look forward to that coming out in January. Um, thank you all so much for listening. We really appreciate each and every one of you. We've had a great 2019 reading, recording, and podcasting. Yeah, that aspect you. of 2019 has been great. It has been great. And yeah, we have already have plenty of books picked for 2020. So 
pick up some more. We're not going anywhere. <laughs> um, we hope that you all have had safe and happy holidays and have a lovely new year. Hmm. I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. Until next time. Goodbye. <laughs>